Good morning, everybody. I feel like I should have brought some oven mitts because the worship was so hot this morning. Yeah, I was laughing when, uh, when, when Rachel recommended, you know, people could dance if they wanted to. And uh, medically, I'm not allowed to dance, but I sure tapped my toe. I did a lot of toe tapping and maybe a little air guitar for Jesus. You know, that's about as far as dancing goes for me. But in my spirit, I was very much celebrating all that God has done on our behalf. And um, so I just want to open up with some prayer and I'm going to dive into our sermon this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that you are our living hope and that you are worth all our praise, whether it be a toe tap or it be a jumping up and down, or it just be a silent song from our heart. Uh, you are worth uh, our all in your name. Amen. Uh, how many of you guys would say you're good at spelling? Raise your hand. How many of you would say you have a hard time even just spelling your own name? Raise your hand. Spelling's definitely not your forte. All right. Uh, I've never been really good at spelling uh, for one of my greatest inventions that I celebrate is spell check uh, and my wife who has no problem correcting me when I spell something wrong. Um, I was always the first to sit during spelling bees. How am I supposed to spell Czechoslovakia when I can barely spell my mom's name, which is Marita? Um, why are there so many different ways to spell the word too? T-O, T-O-O, T-W-O, or if you're a millennial, just the number two. Um, one of the things that makes spelling so frustrating is that only 12% of words are spelled the way they sound. Think about that. Only 12% of words are spelled the way they sound. For example, Wednesday. Why is there a silent D in the middle of Wednesday? We don't need it. Let's do everyone a solid and get rid of all the letters that aren't necessary in words. The word that Americans struggle with the most is the word gray. How many of you think it's G-R-A-Y? How many of you think it's G-R-E-Y? You're all correct because of the American language is stupid. You can spell it either way, and it means exactly the same thing. Um, I've never been a big fan of tests, whether it's a spelling test, a math test, a geography test, and yet we serve a God who is known to test people, and the tests are often much more challenging than spelling bees. The word test appears 42 times in Scripture, 42 times. The first is in Genesis, and the last is in the book of Revelation. The tests vary in length and strength. Jesus gets 40 days while the Israelites get 40 years. Let's stand and look at our theme verse this morning. And this is the first time where the word test is used in Scripture. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Say, what? Everyone, please be seated. At least sometimes we've been through the Bible so many times, like we'll read something like that, and we'll just kind of like hydroplane past it, like, oh, no big deal, just ask him to kill his son. No, no, that should make you pause a little and be like, all right, what's going on here? I have three sons, and I can't imagine getting a test like this from God, even on the days when they're getting on my nerves, which is pretty much any day that ends in the letter Y. Um, now, before we Google Mariah and book a round-trip ticket for us and a one-way ticket for our least favorite child, we need to understand what's going on here. There's something profound taking place. Number one, this is the only time where God asks someone to make a sacrifice like this. God will give thousands of tests, but none will include the sacrifice of a child, and that should grab our attention. 
Number two, it's important to remember that Abraham is stopped at the 11th hour. The story has a happy ending, especially for Isaac. Though I'm sure he used the story to his advantage as often as possible. When Abraham didn't want to buy him the sporty new chariot, well, Dad, you remember that one time when you almost killed me? I'd hate to bring that up in front of Mom on Mother's Day. Number three, Abraham's son is a symbol of more than the love between a father and a son. It's through Isaac that Abraham will create a nation known as Israel. It's through Israel which will come the Bible and Jesus. Without Isaac, we would not be sitting here this morning. It was important to establish early on that Abraham loved God more than all the things God was going to do through him. It was important to establish that Abraham loved God more than all the things that he was going to do through him. You see, there's times when God will ask you to lay down your dreams. What matters more to us, who God is or what God can do? Were you more interested in his heart or in his stuff? You see, some of you are like, man, that would have made a great way to break up with someone. Honey, I love you so much. God wants me to break up with you to prove that he's more important to me than you are. Don't use that. Now, while this is the first time the word test appears in scripture, it is not the first test in Abraham's life. According to the Midrash, God tested Abraham 10 different times, culminating to this graduate level test. When it comes to God's test, it's not one and done or two and through. You graduate and then never have to be tested again. How awesome would that be? You just pass the test and everything's great after that. There were a series of tests. Some he passed, some he appeared to fail, but all of them prepared him for this climactic moment. Like Abraham, we will experience a variety of tests in our life as well. For example, you just discover that you have diabetes and the doctor says no more ice cream. Everyone say boo. But what do you hear driving down the road just after the doctor told you no more ice cream? The ice cream truck. It never comes down your street. No kids live on your block. But the dairy demon decides to drive down your road real slow, playing pop goes the weasel on the day you're supposed to say no. Curse you, Big Dipper ice cream cone. Tests can range from trivial to medieval. It's one thing to say no to sugary treat, and it's another to navigate a foreclosure, a debilitating disease, PTSD, or being bullied on social media. You see, before we shake a fist at life's test, we need to know that God's best is often on the other side of life's test. God's best is often on the other side of life's test. The Menorash points out that the Hebrew word tested is nisa, is derived from the word nays, meaning flag. Everyone say flag. Not flog, because it feels like flogging, but flag, flag. Flags are often a symbol of patriotism. We find them in people's yards, at national monuments. Rocky wears it as a cape after he beats the Russian boxer Drago. But the original use for flag were on the battlefield, where they were known as standards. Everyone say standard. Think about a sporting event where the fans show up in their team's favorite colors. At our church, we have an equal number of Bears fans versus Packers fans. On a Sunday where they are playing each other, we look like two rival gangs, green and gold, blue and orange. When it comes to our faith, there's love. When it comes to football, we're mortal enemies. In war, both sides would show up with their flags or their colors. 
The flag moving forward was a symbol of taking new territory. I'm going to say that again because it's important. A flag was a symbol of taking new territory. We saw a moving example of this right after the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. In the midst of rubble and ash, firefighters erected an American flag at ground zero. Symbolically, they were saying, you may have taken 2,606 lives, but we have not lost our freedom, courage, and will to live. We have lost this battle, but we will not surrender this or any other territory to the enemy. You may have come this far, but you will go no further. A test from God is a way of gaining or regaining territory. It's a way of fighting for God's best, establishing a flag in the ground and saying, this belongs to the Lord. It's not until after Jesus is tested for 40 days and 40 nights that he begins to take back territory from Satan. It's not until after the Israelites are tested for 40 years that they begin to take real estate in the promised land. And Job may feel like all he does is lose, lose, lose no matter what. But spiritually, he's gaining territory. He will double his riches and more than double his influence at the end of his test. Life may feel like a cruel version of a TV game show, Wheel of Misfortune. The price is wrong. No deal or no deal or family feud. But if we will keep playing the game, we will discover like Jesus, Job, and the Jews that God's best is often on the other side of life's test. That if we will do what God wants us to during that season of testing, there is blessing on the other side. A test requires four things though. If you're a note taker, this is going to spell the word test. Trust examination, submission, and trust. And yes, I said trust twice. Let's look at these one at a time. Everyone say trust. When we are tested, we will wrestle with questions like, does God love me? Or more important, does God like me? We all know people that we love, but we don't like them. Why is everyone looking at me? Is God in control? Is my life directed by luck or God's love? Is God no more than a lucky rabbit's foot? Which, side note, I've never understood the concept of a lucky rabbit's foot. If it's so lucky, why isn't it still attached to the rabbit? Just saying. Does God hold my life in the palm of his nailed, scarred hands? Does God have a purpose and plan for my pain? Can I trust God with my one and only life? These are the kinds of questions we will wrestle with. It takes tremendous trust to lean in when it feels like God is leaning away. The second word, examination. Everyone say examination. A consistent theme throughout the seasons of testing can be summed up in the following verse. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. It's important to keep in mind that God never left the Israelites while they're taking their 40-year test. He didn't walk out of the room and ask them to figure it out for themselves. He helped them the whole time. Even though it was their own rebellion, their own stubbornness, why they had to be tested for so long. God will not leave you either. He knew before the test even started what you would get right and what you would get wrong. But even what you get wrong can ultimately get you right. I'm going to say that again. What you get wrong can ultimately be used to get you right. God can use all of it to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart 
whether or not you would keep his commands. Why are we tested? So we can see what's in our heart. Put people in front of a camera and they can do some pretty dumb things. For example, the Drake In My Feelings Challenge, where people step out of a slow-moving vehicle and dance to his song. Kiki, do you love me? They make a heart symbol. Are you riding? Pretending like they're driving. You just stepped out of a perfectly good vehicle. Now you're pretending to be driving alongside of it. It's stupid. How has humanity lasted this long? One guy got hit by a car. Another girl fractured her skull doing this dance. It's hard enough to dance on your own, much less after stepping outside of a moving vehicle. But as bad as we are in front of a camera, things can be even worse when no one's looking. Integrity is who you are behind closed doors when you think no one sees. Tests are a mirror which reveal our ugly side, our shadow side. We think we're the beauty in this spiritual story, but we're really the beast. We go from feeling blessed to stressed to depressed to a certifiable hot mess. I don't know how Job maintains his integrity throughout his season of testing. After a few hours listening to his friends, I would have expected him to Superman punch all four of them with the hope that what he has is contagious. I'm not Job. Everyone say that with me so I don't feel alone. I'm not Job. I don't have his same level of purity, patience, and perseverance yet. Maybe I'll reach that level someday. I know I'll get there before my wife. I'm not done because I plan to die first. Mm-hmm. You should have waited. So judgmental, Christians. Until then, I'm struggling and striving. I'm reaching, relapsing, and repenting. I'm a sinner who has moments of sainthood, or more accurately, I'm a saint who struggles with sin. If Paul was the chief of sinners, I'm the admiral, which is like 11 rankings higher. And the fact that I turned it into a competition between me and Paul proves that I'm the bigger sinner. I'm not as godly as I thought I was, but I'm not as godless as I used to be. Spiritual tests remind me that I will never have the same moral GPA as God. I will always need Jesus. He's not only my teacher and my tutor, he's my substitute test taker. While I get an F for failure, he gets an S for Savior. Thank God. Submission. Somebody say submission. Submission. Will you obey no matter what comes your way? What is your moral threshold? What will it take to get you to sin? Five minutes alone, a pause in the internet, a barista messing up your drink, a toddler melting down in the grocery store, auto-jet, I mean author's pet, I mean autocorrect. Nothing reveals sinfulness like autocorrect. You will find out how spiritually mature you are trying to write an important note with autocorrect. Change it, change it, change it, change it. Ah! Our moral muscles should grow stronger as we mature physically and spiritually. A part of any test is carefully obeying God no matter what. God will often ask us to do some counterintuitive things. Examples in scripture are Moses, strike the rock. Next time, Moses, speak to the rock. Walk around the wall. Seven times walk around the wall. Stand in front of the river with a stick held high. No need to say by the power of grace call, though tempting. Only gather enough food for each day. Pray for your enemies. Go the extra mile. Say amen when your pastor makes a good point. 
Fair enough. Exodus chapter 15, verse 25 through 26. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. When I was a kid, whenever we didn't like the flavor of water, which was pretty much always, my mom would throw in this magical substance called Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, we loved Kool-Aid. The pond the Israelites stumbled upon after a few days without water is bad. Not just sulfur water bad, not just faucet water bad. It's not safe to drink bad. God has them throw in a piece of wood and it turns it into sweet water. Oh, yeah. It was a mini test to show Israel that obedience will lead to opportunity, like physical health in this case. As they wander through the desert where there will be no hospitals, no pharmacies, God's supernatural provision will be important. Passing God's test can come with some pretty incredible benefits, but it requires obeying even when it doesn't seem to make sense, like throw this piece of wood into the water and it'll magically be better for you. Oh, yeah. I would just really pause. You know, I mean, this, this water is like making people sick and God's like, oh, go get that stick right there and throw it into you. That made it worse. <laughs> you know, how does that make it better? <laughs> if we can obey when we're being tested, we can be trusted with bigger responsibility and opportunity after the test. I will say it differently. If we obey over here, we can be trusted over there. If we obey now, we can be trusted with what God wants to do through us later. Which leads us back to trust. Everyone say trust. While it's important to trust God at all times, it's doubly important and doubly hard to trust God during a season of testing. Can I get an amen? It's easy to trust God when the test first starts and you nobly go into it like, I believe in God, this is going to be great. But the longer the test goes on, the harder it is to trust. It's hard to trust when circumstances go from dumb to dumber. On day one, Job sings, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. How often does that verse appear in the book of Job? Once. On day one. It's easy to sing that on day one. It's not so easy to sing it on day two, three, four, five, six, and the further it goes along. You see, sometimes you feel like you're on a blind date. Your Tinder match was supposed to meet you at 7. It's 7.15. You're thinking to yourself, I should have swiped left. Have I been stood up? The waiter just asked if you're expecting anyone else or are you going to order? You ask yourself, am I going to wait another five minutes or do I save face and just leave? Trust means believing that God will never stand you up. He might appear to be late, but he will show up at just the right moment, the most strategic moment possible, the Kairos moment. And it will be the best date ever. Never judge God's miracles while they're still in process. Somebody should have said, mm, that's good, Pastor Dan. Never judge God's miracle while it's still in process. A great example of this comes from the life of Elijah. Israel experiences a three-year drought. Homes were running low on Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. Elijah prays seven times for a miracle. 
But when he gets off his knees, there's in 1 Kings chapter 18, 44. So he's praying hard seven different times. He gets up and he's like, all right, what, what do we got going on here, God? And this is what he sees, a cloud the size of a hand. Everyone look down at your hand. Unless you're Brock Lesnar, whose hands don't even fit like the biggest UFC gloves, you've got pretty small hands. A hand isn't all that big, especially when you're looking off in the distance and you're hoping for rain that's going to come cure three years of drought. And you're like, oh, there's the cloud the size of a hand. Hmm, I should probably pray some more. If you're praying for rain and you see a cloud the size of a hand, it doesn't seem very promising. That's like a 10% chance of rain for one home. When my son was little, we were out for a drive, and I noticed that the moon was out during the day, which I always love. And he asked me, why is the moon so small? And I explained to him distance and perspective, like you do to all three-year-olds. And, and I said, you know, things seem smaller when they're far away. I pointed out a dumpster that was in the distance, and I drove us closer to the dumpster so he could see it change inside the closer we get to it. So we get up to it, and I was like, see how much bigger and stinkier it is now that we're close? To which he says, No. Great ideas are wasted on three-year-olds. And I think I let him watch baby Einstein over and over and over again. Wasted hours. The prophet's answer to prayer didn't seem very impressive at first. No need to pull out an umbrella, Ella, Ella, for that. Don't bother grabbing your picnic basket and head inside. There's just a cloud the size of a hand. But what Elijah knew that we often forget is you should never judge God's miracle while it's still in process. 1 Kings chapter 18, 45 says, a heavy rain started falling. What started off as a cloud the size of a hand brought a heavy rain that started falling and cured the drought that had been there for three years, but it started with a cloud the size of a hand. Does anybody hear me this morning? When you look at the life of Job and you see everything stripped away from him, in the end we have this really cool chapter in chapter 42 where he's restored, but we're not told the whole story. So we don't know how long it took God to restore all of Job's fortunes. We know it wasn't instantaneous. At least I hope Job was, Job's wife wasn't pregnant with like all 10 kids right away, you know, because they go on to have 10 more kids. We are not told how God restored Job's riches. There were no insurance companies at the time, so we don't know how he got all his animals back. Were they donations from friends who felt bad? Or was it like Noah's Ark where animals just spontaneously start showing up at his house? We don't know. But however God did it, a cloud the size of a hand became a storm of double blessing. The next time you're praying, look down at your hand. Let it be a reminder that God can use the smallest things to rain down blessing upon your life, including unwanted spiritual tests. You see, sometimes it's the things that we want to shake a fist at God about. The things that have been brought into our life and we're like, God, why is this happening? It's sometimes those very things that he wants to bring the biggest miracles into our lives if we would just cooperate. You see, it's not enough to just pass through the test. You need to pass the test. It's not enough to just go through the season of testing. You need to grow through the season of testing. It doesn't mean you have to always get it right. But it means you have to constantly lean into the one who did get it right, which is Jesus. He came and he took the test on our behalf so that we could get an A plus, 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 plus. I don't know about you, but there's so many times where I'm frustrated and I look up and all I see is the cloud that looks the size of a hand. And I'm like, God, where are you? And God's like, wait for it. Just wait for it. For you have no idea what I can do with that little cloud to bring blessing into your life. Wait for it. Because as I told you, the word test means flag. 
And when Jesus passed the test, he staked a flag in your life and says, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. I fought for you. You are mine. The bread and the wine being broken are symbolic that I was broken so that you might be made whole. So this isn't going to be a moment of being somber. This is going to be a moment of celebrating what God did on our behalf because we are free. When is it easier to celebrate during the test or after the test? After. after. I remember taking driver's ed and, and going out with the driving instructor. And, and how many of you guys remember, you know, going out with the driving instructor and you're taking the test to get, how many of you were nervous? There wasn't a whole lot of celebrating going on. He would have probably freaked out if I would have started, oh, thank you, Jesus, driving down the both hands on the steering wheel, sir. You know? uh, but you better believe after the test, there was a whole lot of celebrating, right? But when is it more meaningful to God, celebrating during the test or after? During means more because it's a celebration of trust. It's a celebration of faith. Saying, God, I know you've got me. I know you have a plan for it. It's easy to do that afterwards. He goes, oh, yeah, God, I knew all along you were going to get me through. No, you didn't. (laughs) It's hard to worship sometimes on a Sunday morning. We know that everyone's at different seasons and there's different challenges and different problems and different things going on. But sometimes we need to be pushed a little bit because God desires your sacrifice of praise. He desires your worship even when it doesn't feel like it's what you want to do because that's when it means the most. He took a flag and he says, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. I have fought for you and that should excite us. Jesus, we thank you for the freedom that is ours. We thank you in the midst of the test because we know that you're good and that you know the purpose behind our pain, our confusion, our suffering, our difficulty, and that you have plans to prosper, not to harm, to give hope and a future. And just like Job experienced, the Israelites experienced, Jesus experienced, on the other side of testing that when we cooperate, there is blessings unmanageable on the other side. And Father, we thank you in advance for what you are going to do in us and through us. In your name, amen.